Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast in 2021. <laughs> this is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So this is our first podcast in the new year, and it is exactly like our last podcast in the old year. Um, and we were no saying walking. before, no walking. Um, and we were saying before that that um, last year when we did this first podcast, um, we came to the table at your suggestion. You wanted to have mm-hmm. some intentions, um, resolutions for the year, which we um, did not plan for this time. Maybe next time. <laughs> um, Notice I did not plan for resolutions no, this time. No, okay. the resolution is survive a pandemic. But. I did want to point out um, that last time when we did this, um, we came came prepared, and I had two, and you had twelve, and I don't remember. Um, I don't remember. I remember one for each of us, and they're both failures. Um, that you were going to run, and I was very excited that we got to be um, runners again. And then thanks COVID, and then I was going to do more writing, and. Um, I was saying that um, I think it is understandable during a global pandemic that you weren't like getting out there so much <laughs> to run, but it does seem like I had some ideal writing uh, conditions and yet uh, that did not happen. So, blah, blah. and you know what? In both situations, grace abounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So what is astonishing you this week? Well, I am astonished uh, by uh, being just a few months out from being in this whole COVID situation for a full year. I'm astonished that God has sustained us this during this hard, hard season. Uh, we've had a lot of challenges in our house, and I know we've had it easier than many others. Um, but I really am astonished by God sustaining grace. Um, I've been thinking what it would have been like to go through this pandemic in the 80s and uh, how much more difficult it would have been without the internet, without mm-hmm. the technology that we have. Um, you know, I needed something from um, Target last night and it was just so easy to go online and they're going to ship it to us. And, you know, in the 80s, there was no Amazon and, um, I'm just grateful um, for the ways God has, you know, the church isn't perfect, but I'm so grateful that there's been no talk of, you know, people losing their jobs or um, the the giving has been um, steady. Uh, The people of God and God himself have been just really wonderful in this season. uh, And I'm I'm grateful. And when I sit back and think how it could have gone, how we in the beginning, you know, when we met as a board, we were very nervous uh, about a month into the pandemic thinking we we're not quite sure 
how or if we're going to make it through this. And yet um, we, we are okay. We're okay. Yeah. I, um, I, I mean, I have similar thoughts that I've noticed this week, just that um, so much of what is visible about being church and obviously physical about being church is off the table. And mm. that is a, I mean, that's a real loss. Um, but I, but, but so much of what is essential about being the church, which is, I mean, to use a weird word, metaphysical and mm. invisible and spiritual, that, that those things, um, are obviously still accessible to us and, and in a strange way, in a, I mean, a frankly, uncomfortable for me, unpleasant way, because I like to do things and see, <laughs> um, but um, those are, those are centered in this moment. And, um, and I'm, I'm with you that I think I'm discovering that some of the, some of the workarounds, not all of them, but some of the workarounds that we've created have just had really unexpected but um, but deep um, advantages. And, and I think um, we, I was astonished this week. Um, we, we are starting to see a lot of COVID cases in our community, mm-hmm. which um, is um, hard and scary. Um, and we have one, member um who's who's very loved in the community because he loves so intentionally his name is Lamar so everyone can pray for him and um he has been um and ended up in the hospital this week and um and and it is um it's serious and we gathered um twice um, with different groups of people to pray for him on this technology on zoom and i am um i mean it's tender to talk about but it, it was a powerful anointed gathering of the saints to do the essential work of being the church which is to pray for the sick. And um, I mean, on the one hand, if things had been normal, he wouldn't be sick. On the other hand, if things had been normal, um, you know, I would have gone to the hospital and I would have anointed him with oil and people would have prayed for, would have been praying for him. Um, but I don't know that we would have gathered in, in this particular, you know, in, in one time and many spaces to unite our voices and cry out to God. And um, I mean, it was, it was powerful and it was beautiful. And I was astonished um, just to see the different anointings for prayer in the community, which I, I know, but to see people visibly walking in their gifts is really beautiful. Mm. And just astonished to see that. I mean, as you said, like we have not gathered together physically for you know, 10 months. Um, and to see the love that people have for 
um, for Lamar, um, who, who was so intentional about making connections with people and to see that, you know, those months haven't diminished that connection or diminished that love, that separation, um, has intensified that and, and just seeing, um, people loving, um, someone that honestly, like in American society, as the divisions normally exist, you know, just wouldn't have anything to do with one another, wouldn't know one another, certainly wouldn't be moved um, to, to tears, wouldn't be moved to just these, you know, passionate, um, for, like I, I was talking to his wife, Kay, about could I share and that, you know, what could I share? What was she comfortable with me sharing? And just like, oh, I, I want everyone to know what's happening with Lamar because I want the saints to storm the gates of heaven with me to pray, you know, and it just, and I mean, I, I just, it's worth noting that for all that we mourn that we can't do right now as the church, That's we good. can do this. And, That's good. and what's more essential, what's more elemental, mm. what's more formational and foundational than this for us to, you know, pray and ha and have this, um, have this deep and holy encounter um, with God and one another, and just throwing all of our faith and all of our fear and all of our love, you know, just as hard as we can um, at the grace of God. And uh, anyway, it was just astonishingly beautiful and. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And I, um, yeah, so, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm rejoicing about this week. And I know that, um, Lamar being who he is, um, just on a personal level to, I mean, he was not at the meeting, but to know how deeply he's loved by people is, is very important to him. But, mm. um, as a, as a person, um, a discipling disciple maker, um, just to see his church have such an intense worship and prayer experience um, would give him great delight because, you know, for years that, I mean, that long predated me, that's what he was praying for and longing for and, and wanting a spiritual revival in his church community. And so, um, Anyway, so it was very beautiful, wow. and um, and everyone can please play, pray for Lamar because uh, he is precious to mm. us. So, um, what are you thinking about? What am I thinking about? Well, usually, as you uh, noted at the beginning, uh, at the uh, start of a new year, I'm usually thinking about how I want or need to change in the year ahead. But yesterday I started thinking about how I have been changed or how I am being changed because of this pandemic. I just feel um, this, these forces within and upon me, shaping me, changing me whether sometimes I'm cooperating with this change, sometimes I'm resisting it, but I am being changed by this mm. uh, season that we're in. 
And so I just started listing some things uh, that I've noticed. Uh, one is that I have a desire to stay close to home. Um, I don't miss stores. I don't miss restaurants. I just don't miss the life that I had pre-COVID in terms of going and doing and driving and rushing and disappointment and that. I don't miss it. I have come to like being at home. I'm not looking forward to a return to that normal. Um, and that I get now uh, why people go buy a piece of land out in the yeah. far out, far out and start a farm. And I get it. It's like, oh, I, I wouldn't mind doing that. Um, also, um, I have this renewed desire uh, and it's more than a desire. It's, it's a real heart hunger um, to be closer. I mean, physically closer to extended family. I've always been the person, the, the primary person in our family to live away from home. I, I left home as soon as I could. Um, my sister stayed close by. I've always been, if, if there was anyone that needed to come back home, it was always me. And now I'm thinking, man, I would really like to live close to my sisters and cousins and all those folks that I only see every once in a while. Um, also, I've noticed that during the season, my circle of friends has gotten smaller. Like as an introvert, it was already small and now it's even smaller. And for some people that may be a negative, but for me, it's, um, it's most definitely a positive because it, there's a, there's a value, um, like my time with you every week, I know that you and I are going to have a telephone conversation and we're going to have a Zoom meeting and I, I can just count on it. And even though my, my, my circle is smaller, it's more meaningful. And that has just been a, a plus, a, a great change uh, for me. Um, uh, <laughs> here's, here's a change that I've noticed that my, uh, and I, I say this to my wife every once in a while, when we're going through something as a family, I'll say something like, you know, we just need to suck it up and, and go through it. I mean, we just need to, you know, just toughen up, suck it up and let's do it. And my suck it up has gotten stronger. My ability to, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, need, I need, I need another way to put that. No, no, but, no, um, you do not. That's perfect. I, I'm, I'm noticing my, my complaining is way down and I could complain about a lot of things but it but it just seems so so um wrong in light of the suffering I see in the world and um if if any complaining comes out of my mouth usually uh it's followed by well, what, what are you doing? What, what is that? Just suck it up and let's go. Uh, and so I'm noticing there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a toughening uh, in this season that, that I really appreciate. Um, also, I think my, my, my sense of 
compassion for the flaws of others is growing and for my own flaws. Because one of the things, one of the things that this season has revealed is, man, when you're, <laughs> when you're in the house with your family <laughs> for days, weeks, and months on end, your, your shadow side comes out. And, um, and my, my first response is, is to deny uh, then to explain away <laughs> or excuse. But lately I've been saying, oh, you know what? I have this problem. I have this issue. And instead of, you know, self-condemnation and a lot of negative paths you could take, I'm like, okay, you know what? I've got some compassion for myself and for others. We are flawed human beings. Yes, I know that intellectually, but now my, my heart is more in it. And so anyway, I could go on and on, but uh, I'm just noticing and thinking about the ways this season, this pandemic is changing me. Okay, and that is a great question um, and call for introspection, which I try to avoid at, at all costs. <laughs> but um, I, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I mean, at this point, I have already recorded my sermon for this Sunday. And I, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I think it just actually, um, it didn't end up in that way. It's so interesting. People, I don't know if people know when, when preachers are writing sermons, like sometimes I hear book authors talk about, like, I wanted my character to do this. And then the character didn't do it. And I, and as a reader, I'm just like, what the, like that doesn't make any sense you, like you know these people aren't real right like you know that's, like you are the author you can so I but think as a preacher <laughs> totally pretentious for fiction writers yeah. but um as a as a preacher you can be working on a sermon and you sort of come to the text with an idea mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's not even like a functional idea like I want you know, I want to explain this idea to the congregation. So I'm picking this text. Like sometimes it would, it is like, I'm thinking about this text and I really have an insight that feels like a revelation that I think is of the Lord. And so this is the direction that I want to like develop this, this sermon so that I can share this revelation with the congregation. And then, and then even then sometimes you just can't, like the text, I don't know, it just doesn't always go where you want it to go, which is awkward when you publish a blurb on Friday saying, hey, everybody, <laughs> come and learn about this in the sermon. And then you record the sermon later that afternoon and you're like, mm, or not. <laughs> Although the saving grace is nobody reads the church newsletter anyway. So if somebody came up and ever said to me like, oh, I thought it was going to be about this, I would be like, Oh, you read the newsletter. Anyway, um, the thing, the long way around the barn, the thing that that reminds me of, and just listening to you talk about the ways that this experience has changed you, shaped you, deepened you, um, that for the good, um, as I, I think for me, what I really, where, what I thought we were going to get to in the sermon this week, and I don't feel like we really did, but is this idea that like, for all the joking about 2020, it's awful, can't wait, get rid of it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and I, I get it. But um, 
you know, A, it's, it's, it is, I mean, it's not going to be changed. Like we don't get a do-over. We can't go back and undo it or unlive it. And the, and the cost and the suffering and the loss of that year are, it's just so steep. Um, and the price is so high. So, so to know as people of faith that what is visible about the past year we've been through is real and it matters, but also um, by the grace of God, which sometimes is terrible, um, good things, God is using things for good, which doesn't mean the horrible things that happened are okay. They're not, mm-hmm. but um, God is at work in and among these um, realities too. And, and it would be foolish um, and, and really tragic for us to do what I, I feel like people are joking about doing in the culture, which is just like, you know, F2020, shut the door, move on, you know, um, leave it behind. I mean, like we, we can't, and it would be really blasphemous not to do the kind of searching that you're doing. And like, how has the Lord been at work in, in me, in my um, faith, in my, um, in the communities that are dear to me, you know, we, we've paid a high, high price um, for this experience. So any, any good that comes out of it needs to be um, needs to be grabbed with both hands, needs to be cherished, and definitely needs to be carried into our future, whatever that looks like. And um, and I, I think it's really important to be able to name not just. I mean, it's important to be able to name. I'm grateful to have my job. I'm grateful that my family isn't sick. I'm grateful that I'm safe in my home. It's 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 important to be able to, to name those gifts of God that we don't deserve and didn't earn um, and, and to not, and to cherish them and savor them um, from a place of humility. But it's, but it's not just about like, Oh, I'm so glad that didn't happen to me. It also needs to be about, you know, this is what the Lord is actively doing and growing and gifting me in this season. And one way of honoring all that, has been lost is to really treasure what's been given um, and to not just toss it away. Like it, it doesn't matter. So I, I think that's really powerful and, and the kind of introspection that we all um, would just be really fruitful for us all to do. Um, because there's also, there's also work in or that follows that introspection. You know, one of the things that's mm-hmm. been revealed for me about myself during this season is, and, and in some way, <laughs> of course, I've known this for a long time, but I've never had to confront it. But in this season, it's just been revealed how often I'm in spaces and I don't say what I'm truly thinking and feeling how often I hold um, what I want to say, how often, whether it's because, you know, I want to be liked, I don't want to make people angry, or I fear people's response, but I do that a lot. So now that that's been revealed in this season, what's in my lap now is, okay, so what are you going to do about it? And that's hard work. Um, Yeah, I I mean, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I mean, I, I'm 
I really resonate with that because I mean, this idea that like recognizing like, oh, I'm being changed in this way or, oh, I understand this about myself that maybe I was too frazzled or too busy or distracted to, to see. I mean, it's always been true, but I just didn't, I was able to numb myself or Mm -hmm. exhaust myself so that I didn't have to face it. And I, I'm just thinking, so I read something somewhere, an article by a therapist who was just saying like, self-knowledge is the booby prize of therapy. <laughs> like, so just to be like, oh, I see this about myself. I mean, okay, but but not, I mean, and it's not a call to fix ourselves, but to say like, okay, now that you see this about yourself, you know, how is the Lord leading you um, or, or growing you either to um, accept a weakness and allow the Lord's strength to shine through it or, or to grow, um, in a, in a, in a new way. And I, I think that's really, um, important. I mean, because I do think there's, there should be lots of space, um, for, for grace and, um, right expectations of ourselves in this season. Um, and also it's not just about saying like, well, this is who I am. That's so right, that's right. everybody well, else better just. <laughs> and I think one of the things that American Christians, both left and right, miss is the power of the Spirit to make us different, even mm-hmm. better people. On the left, the emphasis is on making society better. Mm-hmm. On the right, the emphasis is on uh, making sure I don't go to hell, right? It's it's a kind of, you know, forensic, I'm, I'm right yeah. with God sort of. But what we miss is this um, being clay in the hands of the potter, God shaping us, God molding us, and our call to cooperate with this work mm-hmm. so that when we look back, you know, in retrospect, we can see, oh, I have been changed and in the present to cooperate with this work, that, that, that is a part of our faith. And um, it, it's one of the things, like I said, we, we miss. And I, I wanna, at least in this season, it, I'm just very mindful of, of that um, aspect of, of the Christian life. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, part of our mission statement at the Grove, the third part of our mission statement is coming alive in Christ. And I think you're exactly right that it's not coming alive in Christ so that you can be the savior vehicle for the people around you. And it's not coming alive in Christ, i.e. I go to heaven when I die. Um, I mean, not, I, I want to be clear. <laughs> I do believe salvation from death is part of the promise that we have in Jesus. Of course. But it's not only that. Yes. Um, and uh, frankly, and I also believe that coming alive in Christ means that sometimes you might be a vehicle for what God is doing in your community. But, Absolutely. But the main thing is you're, you are a, you're a different human than you were before. And to me, it's really, I think um, the image is like really fully becoming the person that you were created to be. So yes. you you become both, entirely different and the most authentic version of your true self that you ever could be like that's what I that's my understanding of what we're talking about Mm -hmm. and that really um you know scripture seems to have two um well I mean it has many pictures of what that can look like and certainly lots of people who are loved 
and and part of the story of redemption by God who who seemed to me to do very, very little changing. <laughs> so that is just out there. Um, looking at you, Abraham, <laughs> Isaac, Jacob, patriarchs. But I do think when you when you see people go through these big changes, yeah, that image of like the Jeremiah image of the potter and the clay. So it's kind of this like slow forming imperceptible yielding kind of active passive participation in what god is doing that that is sort of one way that it looks and then and then the other is this you know paul and damascus road that is just sort of this i was mm-hmm. this turn the page now i'm that and i and i think both of those are um obviously i mean both of those are valid expressions of what that looks like to be born from above born again mm-hmm. um and, and I do, you know, want to lean into that because I think one of the things that I um, am just thinking a lot about lately is that whether we're aware of it or not, we're being changed in every season of our lives. Mm. And we're either growing um, deeper and our minds more and more renewed in Christ and becoming the people that we were created to be, not through the power of self, but through the power of Christ or or we're growing further away which is not like i don't think i mean the danger is that is that you don't want people living in sort of existential terror that i mean we can't undo our salvation or undo but i mean but to i mean i think you said it perfectly like are we participating in what god is doing or or are we resisting it um that that's the big question so anyway wow that's good so what are you thinking about well, one of the things that I would have loved to talk about that I'm, I'm trying to learn more and I'm not good at it, although I'm better at it than people would assume who listen to my sermons is I like there are a lot of times you're just studying a text and they're, they're just, there's so much, just amazing revelation and, you know, it's okay, just Okay, so a, an, let the record show. <laughs> Okay, I, let me. I just need to highlight this. How often have you playfully, but seriously, yeah, teased me about you know having three or four sermons <laughs> in one sermon? It's like you've yep. taken like one of my outlines that you know this is a whole series. Why it's a book? <laughs> it's a book. <laughs> because I I try to go through the entire text and so yes okay i just want the record to yeah. show okay go ahead i know i know exactly and that. i'm just saying like even i mean even though i i see that both in your work and in mine it's my opinion whatever some people like a good two-hour sermon i mean no. <laughs> if only if only you lived in puritan times when there's nothing else to do and people <laughs> anyway whatever um i I leave a lot of things out, not as much as people would think, not as much as my family, you know, talks about every Sunday. It's, so, it's such a joy to, to watch my sermons on a screen with my family sitting next mm. to me being like, what do you mean? Secondly, <laughs> like, anyway, whatever. Um, I leave a lot out and that is just um, real, whatever. Obviously, duh, there's more that could be said. There's, sure. there's just, I mean 
universes of meaning in every word of scripture. So you got to leave stuff out. And um, one of the things that I just occurred to me, we're, we're doing the Magi text this week. And, um, and so just watching people speculate about scholars speculate about who the Magi were and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, are they astronomers? Are there astrologers? And there's kind of two, two camps. I mean, the, the, bottom line is just spoiler alert nobody really knows <laughs> but um but some people really present them as astrologers i.e kind of like occult um whatever sort of but and other people really try to present them as astronomers so like these are scientists who were like the um at the height of sort of technology of their day and i don't i mean whatever i don't know i don't really have a dog in a fight but it's interesting um um i mean i i lean more towards the astrologer thing but that just might be my 21st century bias showing but it's interesting the people who really want to present these visitors as scientists um and just reading some articles of people who who are then just making this point and and you see um kind of the discomfort of the authors that they they feel this um kind of inferiority of like to be a person of faith um in dialogue with um like the scientific community which um you know I just don't I've never felt um my background is in science and um that's my undergraduate degree and um I um so reading all these books and they're just talking about like these scientists like came as far as they could go and they see this disruption of the patterns of this and then they have to move beyond rationality into the realm of faith and that's the move that everybody has to make and you know then then of course inevitably they're going to start talking about like quarks and physics and even the physicists are beginning to name the name of god you know okay but it just struck me as such an interesting thing to read people sort of making the case that um, people with a technical scientific background need to allow um, reality to lead them beyond science to faith. In this moment, um, when we're in the middle of this pandemic, and so many people of faith refuse to allow reality to move them um, into understanding sort of the gift and the revelation uh, of science, right? And so like for a long time, it's been such a given of like, can we get the scientific community to respect um, the offering and the legitimacy and the validity of um, knowledge that comes from faith, right? And that's always been the question. Can we get them to respect us, Um and now in this moment, we see like, oh goodness, we see all these faith communities that have just defensively, reflexively, and, and I think, I mean, fearfully or and or selfishly just shut out anything that comes from the realm of scientific knowledge or discovery. Um, and, and that's just really fascinating to me to watch as somebody who has had a foot kind of in both communities. Um, for a while. And um, I was just remembering and thinking about early on in our um, in our transformation journey at the Grove, there was an opportunity for a while where I worked with a coach, um, a guy named David Cook, who's really great um, and great to me and great to the Grove. And um, early on in one of our first sessions, he was um, 
saying to me, like, Kate, I really want to encourage you to just like go to your local bookstore, go to the business section. Like you don't need to buy the books, but just look what's on the bestseller ones and just go through and like skim the table of contents, skim the introduction, skim the conclusion. Like you're smart. You don't have to read the books, but it'll just really give you some valuable insights. And I said, David, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with how often people talking about church growth and talking about church transformation lean on sort of the latest um, bestsellers within the business community. Like, I don't understand why we're looking to um, this, that realm to tell us how to be church. Like, it just seems like there's a real conflict of, of values. And, and he said, and it was so great. And it's just, you know, sometimes people just say one thing to you and it's really mm. simple and it just becomes something that you carry around forever. And it's, he was like, Kate, all truth is God's truth. Yeah. Like if they know something that's true in the realm of organizational behavior in the business realm, it's also going to be true in the, in the realm of faith communities, right? So if it's true, then it's of God. And, and if it's beneficial, you should conform to that truth. And I it was so helpful. And it just occurs to me that it's so sad to me that so many people are in our faith communities are literally dying because leaders, bad shepherds have taught them that there's only one kind of truth and there's only one source to go to for it. And anything that conflicts with that, you know, that, that the Bible has all the answers for everything. And like, let me be clear, like my experience and deep belief is that scripture is not God, but is, you know, the ultimate revelation of God and is the highest form of truth. I mean, I believe that, um, but I also believe that scripture has really one laser focus, which is to reveal God and, and to reveal humanity in light of who God is and to reveal God's plan and, um, and, and accomplishment in redeeming creation. And so, so all the truth in the world is not within the purview of scripture. Um, scripture isn't interested in answering the question, how did God create the world? Scripture is interesting and interested in answering the question, why did God create the world? And so why anyway, I just, why? Yeah. And so I, I think it's just a really sad thing that there's been this tension for such a long time. And I think for so long as people of faith, we kind of looked at the scientific community and thought, oh, that's so sad for you. That's so sad for you that you don't have all that we have to offer and isn't, yeah. you know, and now I think, you know, it's just so, it's so heartbreaking to see all the different ways that God has manifested God's self in the world, obviously through the revelation of scripture, but also through the realms of science and art and, you know, the study of history and, and, and that there are so many people of faith who just are not interested in um, any epiphany, any showing, any uncovering of who God is, unless you know, it comes from a Christian bookstore or, you know, from the pulpit there, you know, that that's it or the Hallmark channel. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll stop mocking. Well, and I would especially highlight, um, and you just mentioned it, but I, I want to come back to it. Not only science, but history. Mm -hmm. I think um, in this current moment and probably for a while, white American Christians yep. really going to have a hard time with history 
right? Especially, you know, every Another year now. Another way of saying well, that is reality with, and yes. truth. <laughs> you know, huh. I mean, if you, every year when it's Columbus Day, it's like wrestling with, okay, who was this person and what did he really do? Um, the history of slavery, uh, the history of, 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 Europe colonizing the African continent. I mean, it's just so much. And the response is often, oh, you're just trying to rewrite history. No. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's so interesting that, I mean, so many Christians, I mean, when we say that we understand Jesus as truth, and then there are so many Christians who are just dead committed to loyalty to myths. So like the myth mm -hmm. of American exceptionalism, the myth of manifest destiny, the myth of Western civilization being a civil, like these are, these are not, these are objectively not the truth. And so, but, but we, I mean, and, and the pandemic is a great example also, like people want, are, are so loyal to this myth of, well, I trust Jesus. And so I'm not going to get sick. And I just think like, okay, what scripture are you actually reading <laughs> that is giving you the idea that um people loved by god are exempt from uh the the rules of reality <laughs> that, um yes because so, on the news um what last night or the night before there is a church here in charlotte it's historically black church over the summer they had an outbreak of COVID because they had this large convocation, this meeting. I think something like 200 cases came out yeah. of this one church. And it's announced that they're about to have another big meeting because one of their leaders is coming to town. And I'm, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? I mean, there are preachers who, and I think you mentioned this a moment ago, who are just saying to their congregants, don't be afraid, you're not gonna get sick. If you trust Jesus, you don't have to worry about COVID. Come to this thing. Or just this fatalism. I hear this Christian fatalism of like, well, if it's my time, it's my time. Like if Jesus wants me, then yeah. I just, you know, I'm not, who am I to deny the will of the Lord? And I'm like, well, then I don't know. What are you doing standing out there on your pro-life picket line uh, in front mm. of an abortion clinic? Because wow. If it's time, it's, I mean, like, it's just, I don't, I mean, it's just, uh, well, I mean, it's just a really, um, you know, to be led by truth is terrifying because it leads us beyond our own understanding and beyond our own comfort and to face the, the real, um, just how close the fallenness and brokenness of the world is to us and how we both um, resist it and suffer from it and embrace it and, 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 you know, find pleasure in it. And so that's anyway, that this is becoming maybe the longest podcast we've ever done. We probably need to move <laughs> the train down the tracks. My, my natives are getting restless here in this house. I hear them. They're coming for me. Um, what are you preaching about this week? Oh, well, um, I still need to write the sermon, but uh, we're, yep. we're looking at Mark chapter five, uh, the hemorrhaging right. woman. And um, yes. I am, uh, my launch pad is the Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you? <laughs> and so as we move into this new year, uh, you know, I just recognize that 
the, the change of the year, the turn of the calendar, your issues, your problems, don't look at the calendar. They will follow you into a new year. And so it's necessary to ask the question, what do you need to do different in, in this new year? And, um, and so I, I think this woman is just a perfect model for us as we go into a new year. You and I were talking about this text earlier this week, and uh, you gave me uh, a, a point that has really, um, I, I've just been soaking in it. And that is, um, according to Matthew's telling of the story, uh, she, she touched, she reached down and she touched the hem of Jesus garment, which means that she had to get low her, she had to take this, um, this posture of, of lowliness. And so um, I've been asking myself, what, what does that even mean to be lowly? That's not something, you know, we Americans think about very much, but part of what it means is it, it's not about thinking I'm nothing, I'm trash. It's, it's, it's a humility that says, um, if God says that God loves me, my posture is gonna be one of receiving that love. If God says that God's disposition towards me is mercy, my posture is going to be in a position of receiving that mercy, not, not an extreme, of I'm so bad that I can't receive it or that, you know what? I'm pretty doggone good. So I'm, I'm entitled to it, it yeah. right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's your, your hands are open. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really loving that image of being in a, a certain posture, but also the risk that this woman took uh, to be in that crowd um, she risked being, you know, called out, ridiculed, um, maybe even harmed. And uh, I'm asking myself, well, what risks do I need to take in 2021? Um, because I have a number of issues that I've been talking about and, um, you know, wishing were different, but I keep, I keep doing the same things over and over again. Yeah. And so that Dr. Phil question, how's that working for you is relevant. And so, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I love that. First, I just want to say that was not my insight that I shared with you, that I told you my, my friend Charday Henry that has been doing right. um, a lot of um, work on that particular story. So when you said you're preaching it, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, um, and she sent me a bunch of um, insights that she had after praying and studying that text and that insight of like she had to get low, that, mm -hmm. that was um, Chardes and, and, and just the physical danger of being in a crowded space and getting down near the ground. It's not even just like this social, you know, social danger of whatever people might do to her, but also just physically like mm -hmm. crowds are scary and to be low in a crowd makes you extra, extra vulnerable. Um, so I, I agree that idea, but what I, what I love about this text this week is that it, I mean, on the one hand, um, it's, it's such a great kind of antidote to the self-help culture that we're living in because, um, you know, being able to sort of face like this is a reality in my life and I, and I want to, I mean, it's just what we were talking about before. Like I want to actively participate in what God is doing to bring healing and wholeness in this area of my life. And 
to actively participate is to be passive, which is just odd um, for us and really countercultural, um, but really important to say, I need to both, I need to actively show up and then wait on the Lord to do what only mm-hmm. the Lord can do because it's not, well, that's I mean, it's not self-help. It. And I think that um, the other thing that I just think is so interesting um, in preaching that text in this moment to Americans is, is there's something really um, true and powerful and important about, about sort of clearly um, articulating to people, this is how we deal with the reality of brokenness in our own lives. Like we don't just sit under a lemon tree and wait for it to rain lemonade. Like we don't just sit and go like, well, in, in August, this will be over and everything will back, get back to normal again. I mean, like we are, we're not just waiting for the world to change or, or waiting to get hit by the pretty stick or whatever. Like that's, there's an activeness in this and there's a participation-ness to it. And there's a, I mean, to use a word that gets overused in our culture, I think um, there's a responsibility. There's a personal responsibility aspect to this. It is. And also, I mean, connecting back to our earlier conversation um, and, and about Christians' disinterest, some Christians, white Christians disinterested in disinterest in um, facing the reality, the truth of um, history that and I think a lot of times people use a text like this. I've heard it. You've heard it. We've heard people preach that like, basically, if you have a problem in your life and it's there for any significant period of time, it's because you haven't taken responsibility. Either Tony Robbins would say like personally, you're in or whatever, or the Christian version of that is to say, you haven't taken responsibility to get to where Jesus is, to get down low enough. Like you haven't done the spiritual work that would allow the Lord to hear you. So either way, if there's, if there's brokenness in your life, ultimately it is your fault. And if there's healing in your life, that is your reward or your product, right? So we just put ourselves at the center of our spiritual um, story. And, and that's not what's happening in this text. And I also just think it's important, you know, I mean, that's where like an extreme example, and certainly there's white people are way worse at it, but like an extreme example is thinking about that, that clip of Kanye West in the offices at TMZ saying like 400 years of slavery, that sounds like a choice. Like, I mean, the reality is it's not, you know, there are some things in our lives where we really do have a lot of agency. Um, And so to say, you know, I want to figure out what does this active passivity participating and cooperating with what God is doing in my life, like, what does that look like? And I want to be a part of it. And I'm grateful that I, you know, that there's room. And then there are other things, places of brokenness and suffering in our lives where we do not have agency. And, And some of us have more agency in this fallen world than others. Although ultimately, if we're really about the kingdom of God, then, and really about not profiting from what is to our advantage but but overturning what is evil, then then we all have some real limits to our agency in terms of what matters in the eyes of the Lord. But it just, I think it's really important to just to name that because I think you, like all the time people come with other sermons in their ears. And so, you know, and especially I think that's a danger for white people, white Christians to hear that story and go, so anybody that has a problem, if I look and see a group of people who are, you know, historically disadvantaged or generate, well, that's just because they aren't humble. They haven't gotten low and they didn't go, you know, and just, and to just ignore mm. all of 
the truth of systems and powers and principalities that also are at work um, in in the story of people's lives. So anyway, I love that. That's a cool a cool text for the first Sunday in the wow. new year. And you've already preached. You've already, you've already recorded your sermon. For better or worse, wow. <laughs> it's, it's in the can. Um, I I mean I, I feel like I've already talked about it on this podcast too. Was talking about um, the Magi and um, what that story being at the beginning of Matthew's gospel um, shows us about what God is doing and where mm. God is doing it and with whom and like mm. who's at the center of the story. And I do think. I do probably lean a little bit more on the idea that they they were more astrologers, that they were more sort of, um, and because how could they not have been, you know, practicing um, the, the spiritual, um, you know, practices of their culture. And so mm-hmm. really worshiping stars and, you know, and, and what I love about that story is that, you know, because they were seeking God as they understood God in the stars, God reveal God's self in the stars. And so I, I love that. And I think it's just really important for us. I mean, again, I mean, like connecting back to that idea of all truth is God's truth that, you know, God will manifest God's self in all of reality. And, and, you know, and Paul says that too, where in Romans and talking about like, even someone, you know, even a, I mean, I don't think he uses the word pagan or Gentile or whatever, but even a non-believer can look at the physical natural world and, mm-hmm. and begin mm-hmm. to know God, right? Like God, yep. the heavens are telling the glory of God. Yep. And so that shouldn't be a surprise to us that there can be people who have no or very little um, experience with the Christian tradition and still come into our communities with real and valuable knowledge and experience and insight into who God is because mm-hmm. God, you know, the world is not a coloring book and God does not have to stay within the arbitrary lines that we have drawn. And I think people get real nervous in the Christian tradition and start feeling like, oh, are you talking about pantheism? Are you just saying that everything's the same and there's no, and no, I'm not saying that. Um, But we have a name for it. I mean, we we have a name for that. We Mm -hmm. call it general revelation. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. creation reveals something about who God is. Well, and I just think that as Christians, we have um, the enemy of our souls has been great at seducing us to have spiritual pride and to Mm. somehow just assume that we know best, that we have arrived, that we are the authority and the dispensers of knowledge and grace and truth. And if we took our own scripture seriously, we would know that that was not the case. And this story is such a great example. It's like, we were talking earlier in the week that like, you know, these people, whoever they were show up and they are, you know, in the eyes of everyone in Jerusalem, they're pagans, they're infidels, they're Gentiles, they're outside of the promise, but they show up seeking the Messiah. They show up with an awareness that God is doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the experts get called in and they're like, oh, we know where the Messiah will be born. That's going to be happening in Bethlehem. And then the magic go off and the experts stay at the palace. And, and so, you know, to know God's truth doesn't matter if you're not interested in being part of the revolution that God is, um, you know, sparking in the world. And so I, I, I think that the story is great for a self-understanding um, that, that our sense of our community should be based on not who we are, but who God is. And so what God is doing is always sending mysterious strangers into the midst of the settled community of faith and unsettling it 
and um, and that's a gift. And those people should be welcomed and celebrated um, and have some holy curiosity instead of like shut down and turned away, which um, I think often often happens. So anyway, that's where I'm going. Um, so we should be done. Like we're done. <laughs> the turkey is cooked. Right. Thank you for listening. And you should definitely find out more about um, Yolanda's ministry at Derrida Presbyterian Church, D-E-R-I-T-A in Charlotte, North Carolina. Google it and it will pop you right over to their website. And you can find any of his messages on the Derrida Church YouTube channel. Or if you want to just listen to them, they are on the Podbean website. Uh, look for the Derrida Church podcast. And if you want to find out more about ministry at The Grove, um, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. You can worship with us on our public Facebook page at 10 o'clock, which is pretty fun. Um, and um, you can look um, for messages from The Grove at our um, iTunes uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Yolanda loves this part so much um, and uh, search for the Grove Church podcast um, and I have to say in closing that I was talking to Lamar this week which was such a gift and I was asking him if he was bored and he said well I was bored so I turned on the tv and I watched a little bit of Dr. Phil then I got over that real quick <laughs> I turned it off <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.